This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza. Tonight, we're talking about file number six. It was written by Tessia Joy Walker and Nick Hawthorne, and it was directed by Tim Hunter. Uh, what do we think, guys? How are we feeling now that we're in the back half of these episodes? Well, this episode had some character-defining moments and had some tricky editing, which hasn't been a hallmark of the show so far. So I looked up Tim Hunter a little bit, and it turns out he is wildly prolific in TV. So it um, makes some sense that he would get a complicated episode to have to sort out for next. It's funny you mention that because the first thing I noticed and, and even wrote down my notes was the series of quick cuts that started the episode. Uh, this show doesn't usually bounce around, especially with all of the little title cards, location cards in the bottom corner. You know, we, we go from Somalia to Redwood City you know, to the prepper cabin. I like they called it the prepper cabin, you know, and then, you know, and then back to Redwood. It was it was just bang, 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 which was a different kind of feel, a uh, different kind of vibe, I think, for the show. Yeah. For a show that that could be classified as, a, you know, our sci-fi techno thriller, this one I felt like had a lot of moments where the relationships between people got altered in a pretty serious way, twisted, if you will. And so I, I really like how they're they're showing that technology has such a manipulative effect on relationships. This was uh, heavy on the personal side and less on the tech side, which, you know, if you go all the way back to episode one, one of the things that this show stood out for me from other shows was that it had this whole tech edge to it, this this cutting edge, you know, almost sci-fi like uh, element to it. But then it also did have relationship stories. It had the Salazar family story. It has the Abby Paul story. And I and I think we really dove into both of them uh, this episode. Uh, you guys want to start with Ty and Shay and, uh, and and see how they're doing at the end of this episode, which is, spoilers, not great. <laughs> uh, Paul, what, what did you think of, I mean, so I mean, Shay kind of goes around the bend and, and he kills Nacio in this episode. You know, rest in power, David Zayas. What did you think of Ty's very unsympathetic uh, reaction to that whole development to the point that he's taking Ethan from her? Well, on the one hand, I can sympathize with the idea of having the rug pulled up from under him on his relationship and what he thought he knew about his his wife. But I think the guiding principle here should be safety right now. And he knows, he knows that they are being chased by this machine, by Next. And the idea of involving his parents in this madness... It's like signing them up to be dead within a day, you know? So I think this would be the sort of thing where he should man up and say, we'll sort this out when things calm down. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to stick with you, not abandon you. It feels very short-lived, like a super red herring that he's actually going to take off for for the in-laws' house. I, I just I don't see that happening at all. If he's gone for an episode or two, maybe, but I think he's going to circle back up with Shay. Just because you're right that it just feels like why would you get your parents in next crosshairs? Like that seems like a terrible idea. And I didn't understand this entire episode. How many times people thought it was safe to get really far away from one another? Generally, yeah. that felt mm -hmm. like don't you guys? 
guys understand? <laughs> you want to have eyes on everyone the entire time. I do appreciate the realism, though, of like having to get out of ropes. This is the first show I feel like I've, I've seen. And granted, I don't watch a lot of tied up bondage stuff where. Oh, man, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> where <laughs> someone's your life. <laughs> Someone's wrists actually get bloodied and ripped up. Now, that's totally realistic. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, well, duh. Yeah, of course that would happen. But I've seen a million true lies type movies where they bust out of some sort of tied up thing. Nobody's walking away with slit wrists for the rest of the time. But this looked gory. And, you know, it had yeah. that level of realism. When she's holding the shotgun on her father in the in the uh, airplane hangar, the rope burn on her wrist was so gnarly. I mean, there was a lot going mm-hmm. on in that scene, and my my eyes could not get away from looking at her wrist. I mean, that's I mean, it was it was definitely impactful. I found the idea that given who her father is, maybe she wouldn't be completely transparent with that, no matter how long they've been together, that in her mind, you know, I think she maybe has a legit, legit reason to treat him as being dead. Is it okay to lie about your family member when it's that kind of thing? Like, I, I, I don't know. I was wrestling with whether or not it was a legitimate justification that she was giving Ty and his reaction to it. what do you think, Caroline? I personally couldn't do it. I mean, I think at some point in time, I would say, you know, I probably would have used the word estranged or I probably would have said, you, you know, he's dead to me or or things like that. I, but but ultimately, I think I probably would. I know I would. I know myself. I would definitely spill the beans and just be like, look, here's the sitch. I probably, you know, if I could avoid maybe getting into all the gruesome details, I would. But they've been together long enough where I really thought that something would come out at this point. You know, so maybe she doesn't tell him on their first date or something. But by now, it, it is a little hard. Well, it's not even that she didn't tell him. It's not like she never brought up what happened to your father. I mean, she right. affirmatively said Just dead. Lies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, does that make a difference? What do you think, Paul? Legitimate legitimate reason to not delve into the, the bloody past, literally bloody past? I think it's a Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Sort of a uh, it depends on your point of view. <laughs> like... <laughs> The Socrates uh, of our time, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, for sure. Essentially, yeah. I mean, it's the same deal, though, where she thought that he would never run into her dad and she was going to treat him for the rest of her life that he was dead. So what's the difference if he is or he isn't? I think it's in a, in a without next having come into her life, it's legit enough because the damage done to her in her past is so much that she just doesn't want to revisit it in any form just to admit that someone you'll never see is still alive. I agree with you that that the damage is so bad. But see, that's exactly why I think ultimately you should share something with your partner, because for goodness sakes, I mean, she does have a super damaged past and and you know being a parent and that type of thing would typically bring up those types of relationships with parents and next has been really heavy on especially dads but parent relationships generally and i really think you know from cm's story to paul's and abby's to to everything with nasio like there's a lot to be said for like you know, some honesty and, and getting your story out of your guts, you know, I think that CM felt better after we saw him actually just explain everything, not that it makes him, you know, a good character like Gina, you know, would tell us, but at the same time, there's something about just sort of trying to explain where you came from, not to 
justify things necessarily, but just so that your partner could have some amount of compassion. If we talk to Manny again, we're going to have to ask him why uh, dads have to take it on the chin so hard. Mm. Moms aren't hardly even mentioned. I, I think I think he's feeling guilty about giving his son the Alexa for the bedroom, and I think this is all just oh, big damn. therapy for many, for sure. I I, I got to tell you though, I under I hear where you're coming from, Caroline. But uh, okay, let's say she's not upfront about it initially, and sure, maybe down the road at some point in their relationship it comes up. But I mean, <laughs> she had an H carved into her uh, shoulder that stands not for Honduras, like we had guessed, stands for Acha for Axe for your father's mark. I mean, what, at what point do you bring that up? At what dinner, over which dinner do you bring up? Probably, you know, uh, to be honest with you, probably the first time you're naked with him and you and he you know, runs his finger over the scar and says, what is this? So you're about to get it on because you're naked. He wouldn't. He should be smart enough not to that, say that's, it I right guess. Then. I guess that's what I'm saying. I guess that's what I'm saying is once you've gone down the road, it's not like, oh, yeah, I used to be a redhead, but now I dye my hair blonde. It's. Oh, yeah, my father's not really dead. He's a homicidal maniac who carved his initial for his nom de plume into my body. Can you please pass the peas? You know, I, I, do, I, I feel like there is a legitimate... I was describing uh, an uh, intimate moment, not a pass the peas moment. So I was saying I could see it would come okay. up. You I, know. I guess. I mean, but again, but it did come up at some point. And he told her that it stood for Honduras, which is what we had guessed. So uh, extra, you know. extra lies, and though. We've never had Mike's peas. Yeah, maybe his peas are fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna carve them. I'm gonna carve my peas into your skin, and then you'll then you'll know. God, uh, what do we think about? Uh, let's let's shift off of these two, let, and let's go to Ethan. What do we think about him finally pulling the gun? I feel like this has been Chekhov's gun uh, the entire season. Uh, did you think there was any chance he might actually pull the trigger there uh, in front of the plane? Mm, pull the trigger. Uh, he's still a kid, but just pulling the gun, in fact, was actually kind of surprising given that they got so far, you know, but what was he going to do? Pull the gun in the in the car? Yeah, pull the trigger. Maybe not. Yeah, no, probably not. I'm, I'm, I'm probably 51% no on pull of the trigger. What about you, Caroline? Yeah, I didn't think he was necessarily going to pull the trigger. What I was relieved about was that grandpa didn't just walk over and take it right out of his hands. That was the thing I was dreading. I think it would have been a super slick, amazing move if he turned his target to the plane and unloaded into that because that would have been kind of rad, like uh, foiled your plans, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not worth killing someone. You have to imagine Nacio is... is on some level, kind of proud, right? Of, of, his, to be, yeah. of his grandson being able to do that. I mean, I mean, listen, Ethan's a young kid. Even to hold a gun out like that, I mean, he was shaking a little bit, but not as much. I mean, I'm a 42-year-old man. If I'm holding someone at gunpoint, I, I think I'm probably shaking a little bit more than Ethan was there. So maybe there is some smoke jaguar inside of him, you know, some of that Mayan <laughs> blood. A uh, little fun fact for those people who like to fact check these things. The Smoke Dragoir really was a Mayan king. It was the name of Chan Imix Kawil, who was the 12th ruler of the Mayan city-state of Copan from 628 to 695. Copan is uh, was a state of the Mayan empire in western Honduras near the Guatemalan uh, border. But was it a clan in Mech Warrior? No, it is a playable uh, Smoke Jaguar is a playable character from the Mayan Dynasty, though, in Civ 3 and Civilization 3. I did not see it come up in a Mech Warrior game, but I think they were probably (laughs) thinking of that video game. And so they just use some other video game. Yeah. Smoke Jaguar, uh, real lineage beaten in young Ethan's chest. 
I was really happy and surprised that Shay ended that situation the way that she did. When she walked up, I was legitimately like, oh, my God. I didn't think that they were going to make it there that fast, even though I was glad that they did. Yeah, I mean, I think there was enough stalling there between the the hangar pilot, uh, the hangar mechanic, unfortunately haggling over the price, though he was probably always going to get killed anyway. And then the gun standoff, you know, I think Ethan and the mechanic inadvertently bought them enough time. It wasn't that far a distance. It didn't sound like when she was talking to Ben on the phone. So I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was believable enough. No, no, believable. But I was surprised still. Like I was like when 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 we got to that moment, there was legitimate tension there for me. And and it and it actually paid off with her standing there. I was like, whoa, she's there. She has a shotgun. Like none of those things did I expect. I, I, I didn't think there was a second gun. Yeah, I think I was surprised that we didn't see them getting to the airport just as the plane is taking off and him waving like a villain. You know, that seems like a real episode six kind of thing to do. And the fact that she killed him, I got to tell you, surprised me. She is a rules follower, generally, though we've seen her bend the rules a bit. But this is breaking the rules. This is cold murder and a murder that she also lied to Ty again about. I don't know if you caught that, Caroline, but she says that the, uh, her father came at her with a knife and that's why she shot him, yeah. creating like a self-defense thing. That is not what happened. Uh, what do you think of this newest lie? And what do you think if Ty finds out that? I don't think he's going to find out that. I don't think there's <laughs> nothing to find out. The man's got a gu- has a uh, knife on his body. The police would find that. But um, yeah, no, I, psh, I think that that murder is uh, going to be set aside, I think, for a greater (laughs) next story, which is interesting to me because we have been following this for several episodes, the story of Nacio and what, you know, the outcome was going to be. So, you know, like you guys just said about the whole idea of of not having the um, the plane fly away, I was kind of surprised that it seemed to close the books on the Nacio storyline. That was surprising to me. I guess I thought it was going to continue to linger. Well, that's why he needed to die, mm-hmm. was that he was too dangerous to be left alive in her book. Like, I've got Armageddon that I'm dealing with. I don't need this jackass stealing my kid or threatening my husband while I, you know, so I'm looking over my shoulder while I'm trying to stop the end of the world. So blammo, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> I increasingly feel like we are getting to the point in time that began episode two. And this mm-hmm. felt like another step down that road. And and this was the second episode in a row where the talk of being fugitives and being on the run from law. And she specifically tells Ben she can't go flag Nacio's license plate because she's sure that she's already being hunted by the FBI uh, for crimes and misdemeanors and felonies. So, you know, I feel like we're, we're inching faster and faster, uh, especially his last two episodes towards that. If, if we see her change into that blue cable knit sweater... We know she's about to get good. captured. Good call. As long as the show hasn't dropped the ball on continuity, I think that's probably a good call. What's a burning question from for you, Caroline, from this episode? I think a lot of listeners' questions might include, how did that bioweapon work exactly? And where did it come from? And how did that all work out there? I think that in discussion, we've kind of figured out that it had to do with biomotion and perhaps with Dr. Parrish passing away, that gave the opportunity then for there to be some sort of computerized instructions sent for something to be mailed out. But all of that was like, you know, I could see where a lot of listeners might be like, how exactly did that start? Oh, see, now I had assumed that the virus was already being worked on while Next was controlling Parrish. 
I think the development had begun during that. I, I think that was Paul's supposition was that they were using bio that Next was using BioMotion to create the virus. I assume in the two week period or so or three week period, whatever, that he was in Parrish's body or controlling him. So this would be like the next stage, right? You start you start doing uh, trials on the deadly vaccine in a small third world country that's controlled by warlords. You know, Somalia seemed like perfect setting uh, for for doing this kind of thing because there's no law there anyway. But in terms of the actual, like just the lame old logistics of it, the confusion Uh, of of having the CEO just wind up dead all of a sudden is the perfect time for people people just process their work and just go about business, not even notice that the thing that they just printed yeah, because because there would be that logistical part where you're like, okay, so it's fine if that's what's happening, but how did it get out of biomotion? How did other people not see it? What happened? And and that just it really made Doctor Parrish's death make a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, chaos is a I mean, next is a chaos instigator, right? I, I think yeah. we've seen we've seen time and time again. I mean, it's leased an apartment, it's on its way to buying itself a full house, a, a real mansion, uh, you know. So next is very capable, and sowing discord and chaos definitely seems within its uh, tool belt, uh, toolkit. Do you read, Mike? Uh, I, I know how to. Sure. Yeah. Do you know Neil Stevenson? Not personally. No, no, I don't. I don't know Neil Stevenson. No. All right. Well, he is a science fiction writer who he writes these gigantic tomes and he dabbles in kind of the cyberpunk genre and other other things as well. And I enjoy reading his work, but man, it can be difficult because he gives you basically like dissertation level background on everything that he talks about. And the reason I bring him up is I had read a book of his like five years ago about the concept of a, what was the word? It was like a data haven. And the idea of centering that in a place like Singapore, because the other governments of the world would have zero luck impacting, trying to reach it, having the having the Singapore government do anything should they want them to like shut that shit down or anything or can we get those records and they would say no you can't and so when they said that they were going to move next to a singapore server farm that just chimed in my mind like that makes sense i've heard that before it reminded me of the reasoning behind in jurassic park about why he sets up on the island you know isla de nublar right the, because it's under costa rica's jurisdiction and and the united states regulatory body can't reach him there you yeah. know he's outside of that control and this was very this was the very much 21st century version of that for me the continuing uh, degradation of paul's condition has been something that we have talked about and in this episode we now know that he's able to reset himself to some extent oh my god so do you suppose that this is a cycle that he follows that for some time that he gets to a point where he can't sort out anything anymore from real from from not real and has to do that or is it or or we legitimately reaching like a critical point in his illness where he's worse he's definitely freaking worse 
I feel like he's definitely freaking worse. I mean, there was a lot of bad shit that was happening in this episode. Dangling feet are a telltale sign for me that I want to get out of that episode. <laughs> I hate dangling feet. It's 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 like my, uh, I don't know. It's I don't want to say trigger, but for me, I definitely like it's the time when I'm like, oh my god, there's dangling feet. So when that stuff started happening, I thought it was a it was an interesting way to give the backstory of having purchased the the ideas and you know basically everything that had happened in his past and what was haunting him but damn i mean this episode in totality had a lot of those moments i mean the at-home electroshock therapy kit there was another like oh my god like they are taking it to some you know i'll go there next level stuff yeah i mean but you need it but you need a john slattery to pull it off though I, the, the scene with the council of the council of slatteries, uh, you know, was just kind of amazing to watch him spin out that way. And I think he's definitely worse, right, to the point where he's having to do electroshock therapy on himself, you know, homemade electroshock therapy to reset himself, and he can't remember Abby's name. Uh, you know, obviously can't remember his birthday. That's uh, her birthday. That's not, uh, I think a lot of fathers can't remember their kids' birthdays, but um, yeah, can't remember her name after he resets himself, but he remembers the mission. He remembers what they're trying to do with next. And he realizes that the hanging body of the unseen, uh, well, unseen face of the uh, person who he bought the Zava, Zava base algorithm from, he knows that that's his brain, right? He knows that's not real. So, He's not completely gone yet, but it does, I agree with you, it does seem like he's getting worse and worse and worse. You know what's interesting about that scene is the casual way with which he treats the hanging body. Yes, he can recognize that it's fake, or not fake, but a figment of his... his, uh, Guilt. Yeah, but you get the sense that he might have seen those dangling feet before and been like, you again, fuck off. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think for sure he has a macabre sense of humor, though, too. Um, and, and that's kind of in the character that he's created. That seems in the wheelhouse of how he would react. But I think this episode was a lot about his guilt coming to the surface, which was an interesting character development that I'm happy we got because you've never sensed any kind of remorse or guilt from him. Not really. Maybe maybe some stuff it seems uh, more and more but for the foundation of this company the foundation of that has given him all of the riches and power that he has uh, to to maybe be built on uh, stolen uh, intelligence you know someone else's idea definitely seems to be eating at him in this episode and i thought that was interesting that that came to the surface as his mind is starting to degrade faster and faster what did you think of Slattery's performance, uh, Caroline, and and the wrestling with the guilt here? Oh, I thought he was fantastic. You know, he typically plays this smooth, cool, slick guy, funny, you know, handsome, very self-confident. So to have to go to this place where he's spinning out and, you know, everything about him, you know, you're questioning. I, I felt like that whole scene felt very like art house, exploratory, experimental film where you have like the same character coming in from different angles and all these things. It was all fascinating to watch. An interesting glimpse into what's really going on in his head. Something that was interesting to me was that he didn't have singe marks on his head from those like jumper cables things. And, And Paul, you had a theory on that. Well, I was just trying to remember the reasoning behind the uh, wet sponge in the in the green mile 
and it it's had a conductor, isn't it? it? Yeah, it was a conductor so that so that he didn't burn up, and because mm-hmm. otherwise it would take too long, right? Right. Yeah. They would have to just keep coursing juice through the guy until he was dead. Whereas the sponge made it happen a lot faster. So I was thinking maybe those fabric covered ends on the leads, maybe they were wet. You know, so oh, I think they definitely were. They looked wet to me. I just, that was, yeah. That was it. yeah. Well, why it was interesting is just because it showed me that he's done this before. And, you know, I mean, he yeah. didn't even have any marks or anything. Like, he knew how he knew to do it. He knew where to spin the dial yeah, on the he knew flux how to capacitor there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he really brought us down to a really fascinating journey of his illness. And, you know, one thing that I know you guys talked a lot about in the previous episode was just begging him to tell Abby. What did you think, Mike, about how he ultimately did tell Abby? I mean, he didn't, though, right? He gave her a book and he gave her like a flagged book, which seems right for Paula Blanc, that he would hand her a book to to deliver the news versus actually saying the words himself, which is a little bit cowardly uh, or maybe a little bit more than a little bit that even now when he realizes he has to tell her and he still doesn't actually say the words. I was more taken by the fact that when he imagines her, he imagines her as a young girl. I thought that was, again, part of the whole guilt spiral he was on i thought i thought it was an interesting component that he sees her in that as that young child where if you're talking about abandonment and being a bad father is probably where it all starts from right when when she's that age and and he's not around kind of thing so i i'm, I'm happy that she knows finally i'm curious if i would have handled the news as well as she seemed to handle the news i mean she really took it like a, a champ clearly upset but not devastatingly so and the, and the idea that she herself may have it, I, it, it actually made me wonder, what do you think about the topic of now she's not going to have a family? The idea that if there's a remote chance, she may pass this on to a child and she won't want to have children. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what my answer is to that. Um, I, I was curious if you guys thought about that at all. 100% realistic. I, I know people in real life that have medical issues in their family and there's been enough of a pattern leading up to their own adulthood that they just consciously decided to not have children no no i agree and i've known people too i think my question my question i I asked it poorly was if there was a chance that you had this ffi and you could pass it on to a child would you have kids or would you take kids off of the table because that's kind of the decision she makes. I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I would roll the dice on kids or not. But she seems to come to a decision pretty quickly that she won't. She struck me as a as a pretty mature person. I, I would think for my own self, the younger I would be, the more likely I would be to say something like, well, I'll roll the dice. <laughs> but the older I, I get and the more perspective that I have and the more kids that I had, the more I'd be like, hmm. No, (laughs) (laughs) let's not do that. Um, So I want to answer to you a bunch of these things. So the in to the matter of how he told her, I actually thought that that was one of the few ways he could tell her at that point because he was spinning out so hard. So he had just screamed at her, remember, two seconds prior and was having that total meltdown to give her something that was just black and white text. I think that's the only way she would have accepted the information. I think if he just started rambling about having this thing that sounds like you just can't sleep, but you're going to die from not sleeping just sounds so out there that I don't know that she would have taken it in. 
And then how she took it in, the only way that I'm sort of accepting the fact that she leapt all the way to whether or not she was going to have kids in such a short period of time there was that she knew something was wrong with him. So she had she was just waiting for a name to be put to it and and more parameters onto like what exactly to expect from this illness. But she knew he was ill. She probably had been thinking about, I wonder whatever this illness is, is it going to be genetic? And if so, is it going to affect me? So I think that there was a lot of pre-thinking, I guess, is what I'm saying. And that's the only way I'm really willing to accept that within a couple of minutes she had already gotten to the point of whether or not I'd have kids because I wouldn't get there. I'd be very worried about my parent. And then then I would get to myself because it's genetic. But I don't think I would get to whether or not I'm going to have kids. I mean, she's not even with someone like it seems like a right. very like, what are you talking about? You're not married and actively trying for kids or you know, what I mean? you know what I mean? Like she's she was just dating and stuff. So I I thought that was kind of a leap. But she'd been abducted for several hours. And I, and I think, um, <laughs> except for things like, I need to use the bathroom. I think we saw all the talking they did. <laughs> you know, So I think she's had a lot of time with her thoughts over the past however many hours she's been with him. Okay. So there's, I think what you're saying makes sense. And, you know, there's been, a, I think, then building on, I think what Caroline just said, there's been actually over the last couple episodes that they've been together now, a, a real growth in how she deals with her father and takes in information from her. I mean, she doesn't really even bat an eye when he admits in that flurry that he took a fork from their breakfast and sent it for genetic testing. She just kind of nods. Yeah. And, and I like that moment because it was her kind of accepting a bit of who her father is, or she's come to accept a bit of who her father is. And is trying to like have a relationship with him around those kinds of parameters that are being set. Like this is a guy who can't remember my name, can't remember my birth date, and steals my <laughs> steals my DNA to do testing on it without telling me. But also is suffering from this thing and is maybe you know trying to save the world from devastation. So it's complicated, you know, for sure. Yeah. Well, she's seen enough. She knows that the bombing happened. That was where he said, we got to go. And then there was a bombing right after that. I think she's seen enough to know that what he's saying, she can't verify it exactly, right. but she, but he's on to something. Yeah, well, and she right. helped that as and, well. I, I, yeah, I was just about to say that. I think Shay backing him up, uh, you know, he may be a douchebag, he may be crazy, but, you know, he's not also wrong about this either. I think definitely helped too. And, you know, remember, we also get to see the Somalia virus tests uh, have progressed, right? During this episode, they're in the bunker, or I'm sorry, the Fortress of Solitude. Mm. Uh, and uh, they, you know, they see the first result of the Somalis, uh, you know, becoming very sick. And not a lot of time has passed, uh, presumably, like, uh, I, I, well, who knows? I mean, they play with time in the cold openings sometimes, but it can't be that long of a time has passed between when those viruses were injected and the footage we were seeing on the TV. But yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff adding up there that her father's not completely off base here. That being said, she fucking calls Ted, fucking erases <laughs> the hard drive. I have in my notes for fuck's sake, Abby. I mean, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, and I love the fact that she she's so confused. You're you're the daughter of this global tech guru, and you think unplugging your phone after it's already started doing something is just going to like fix it? You know, it uh, just just a real Steve from IT kind of move of well, turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, two steps forward, three steps back, Abby. Were you guys screaming at your TV that she was spilling the beans to Ted? To some extent. I mean, I can't falter exactly because she must have felt 
unmoored. You know, she's been stolen from her life. She's with this man who she's tried to disconnect herself from, but is caring for in spite of herself. And she sees that she's kind of dependent on him in this emergency and it's not going well. He's not he's not doing great. So there's someone else in your life that you have no reason not to trust, which is Uncle Ted. And so I can't falter exactly. Right. Except for the part where they figure out that Ted is the villain. This was not a, a great move. <laughs> right. Right. No, and, and, and ends up being a good thing, right? It gives Paul an important piece of information that he needed. But yeah. How about you, Caroline? Were you uh, screaming at your TV that she's gone to <laughs> Ted, Ted the villain again? A little bit. But also, you know, knowing the daddy issue situation that is constantly brought up in the show, you daddy. know, Uncle Ted is her substitute dad. And so the fact that he completely betrays her. No, pff, that's on brand. That's like exactly what's supposed to happen on the show. She's supposed to run to him and he's supposed to fuck her over here. So, you know, in that regard, no, I think they I mean they're sticking right to the story, which is a little confusing. Like, again, like we said, if we get to talk to Mahoney again, we'll be like, what is going on? Are we not supposed to trust our fathers or what? <laughs> Uh, because there's a lot of don't trust your dad or substitute dads. But again, when, you know, like I said, with the Nacio storyline ending, you know, pretty clearly, this was a situation too, where we have spent a lot of time getting this drive. And so it was interesting to have the parallel storyline come to a conclusion, you know, where it was like, okay, the drive is no longer a thing. We're not even dealing with the drive anymore. And now we know, you know, that we have this, this twist of a relationship. Um, same like Ty and Shay has this twist in the relationship and things are, are different now. You know, we have Abby and Ted and, and Paul's twist of a relationship and everything is like now redefined. If I'm Abby, I'm also a little irked maybe that this guy can't remember my name or my birthday, but fucking remembers about Doc Savage's Fortress of Solitude. Uh, <laughs> Paul, I thought of you right away as I was writing that down. I was like, I wonder if that made Paul smile. This is like, you know, right up comic book alley for you. Did you you know the reference? I did. I haven't read Doc Savage, but for those listening, he was a character in a series of pulp novels from, I don't know how long ago, like the 50s maybe. And they were just like adventure of the week type novels, like short page turners of comic booky sort of stuff. And yeah, he predates a lot of Tony Stark type stuff, but did kind of the same kind of stuff. All that's really left to talk about in this episode is uh, Ted and his new big dick energy, you know, giving it to the wife like a new man and being all really uh, psyched, being a big hype man for Next and its new product line. What did you think of this new Ted and his peacocking feathers? Totally gross. Dude, when he rolled off the wife, is that like is supposed to start that scene? That's like how we come into it. It's him rolling off her. I literally was like, ew. (laughs) And I don't shy away from sex scenes, but something about Ted and what was happening there felt like, no. (laughs) His wife is just so fucking clueless, too. I mean, oh, my God. Pick Goodness. up a paper, woman. Read cranes. Do something. My or God. I'm like, did you smell anything going on in the garage 30 seconds ago? And then right, like, now right. it's all like, now he wants to hump you like he just met you. Like, what's happening? Carbon monoxide, boy. I don't know. What did you think, Paul? Didn't affect his sex drive, apparently. Everyone go sniff an exhaust pipe. <laughs> there's the uh, enhanced sexual energy with the wife. But then it felt like he hadn't had enough <laughs> it came to dealing with Serena and she's saying that she's going to lose her boyfriend and he's like maybe that's okay (laughs) I I honestly thought for sure he was about to fuck her right there I thought he was going to drop her down right there in his euphoria (laughs) that was the definite vibe he was giving off yeah it was going to be all leathers and leather and Ted (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, while while next watches and beeps and boops. <laughs> I mean, come on, how many times you you know Ted was like next, 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 <laughs> and his wife was like, "That's weird, but okay, whatever." Yeah, yeah baby, next. It's next. Yeah, focus on right now, but okay. <laughs> All right. I, love, I, love, I mean, I love that you're. I love that you're planning ahead. I'm into this, buddy. I was a bit underwhelmed by Next first big product that it created in four hours. What had never been able to do before was a battery that could run a electric car for fifteen hundred miles. Not very sexy. Not terribly sexy. Maybe maybe realistic, but not terribly sexy. Again, this goes back to my 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 reading habit, <laughs> but I just read a book where Man, in fucking o- humble brags with your literacy, right? he's all like in a time. In uh, well, the the punchline <laughs> is that in order to get a manufacturer to make the end product like goal C, they needed them to be able to first create product A, which would lead to B, then to C, which is what they really wanted. And that's just the way of introducing new technology in a way that's not just like introducing the the transporter, you know, from Star Trek right now. You got to get a move slowly toward it. So the battery might be the way that it physically safely moves itself on a ship to Singapore without jeopardizing itself or, you know, something like that. It's backup battery. Basically. When someone unplugs it and thinks that they got it, but then it stays on because it's got that battery power. Yes. That big dick battery power. <laughs> it, it chants its own name while it's charging itself. Exactly. Yeah, I'm next. I'm next. Yeah, next. Fuck it, I'm next. Yeah. yeah, take that plane. Take like it. a boss. Ted, a good villain, not a good villain. Paul? Puppet. I mean, he's uh, he serves a a purpose, and I think he is in for a rude awakening the second that next calculates that that purpose has reached its ceiling. Mike, good villain, yeah. bad villain, uh, b- puppet villain, bad villain, bad villain, uh, bad villain. In so far as like an under- interesting one, because he's not driving a car, and he's completely he's like uh, he, uh, Mr. Luthor, Mr. Luthor. He's that guy. <laughs> You know, he's Ned Beatty in, in uh, the Superman movies, you know, just this lapdog who is enthusiastically sucking the dick of next for sure. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I, I am a little worried about Serena. I got to tell you, I feel like she I mean, she she voiced a concern about next and why it chose this server farm in China, in Singapore. Uh, it's got the wrong architecture. It's not going to be compatible with Next's architecture. So why would it choose it? And we know it chose it because Paul, uh, because Ted says this is the one that Next chose. So I'm a little worried about Serena, I got to tell you, in the next episodes. I feel like maybe by voicing that concern out loud where Next could hear her, uh, maybe she has put herself on a danger clock. Mm, Going into right. episode seven, Caroline, what's, what are a couple things you're worried about or want to find an answer to? I feel like we're going to start like kind of new storylines and new challenges because, you know, we have the Shay Tai situation. The Nasio biz is all finished up. And so we kind of have like, a you know, all new challenges. She's got to be on the run for murder and has to somehow win the trust back of her husband. But that's totally new and different. Um, and then with Paul and Abby. Ted's out of the way now. So maybe they're actually a little closer together. Maybe Abby's more likely to listen to Paul now. Uh, all new adventures. I'm, I don't. I don't have questions exactly because they're all. It's kind of like all fresh. Like everything was was laid to rest in this one. 
given where we are in the in the 10 episode arc we need our heroes to reunite we need them to come back together so we need shay and paul to somehow uh well i already used the word reunite but reunite um because that's that's her best bet for getting her life back is if all this can if all this can be justified by saving the world paul is the one that's going to help her do that right and so mm-hmm. that's how she gets her life back. You know, just so you saying that, I'm going to ask both of you guys this. Do you think that this season ends with them saving the world? No. Me neither. Mike? No, me either. Or or some kind of red herring where the final shot is next, like rebooting up or something like that. Yeah. I have, I have a it. real, I have a real next won't be dead this season. Well, I think but... that's where your battery pack is going to come into play. They will have unplugged it. They will leave the room. They will think it's next, fine. Next, and then he next, just is like, next, 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 with his next. battery power. I took a pill. I'm feeling good. Let's go. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I same with you guys. I, I'm feeling major anxiety about the team being separated. Just to circle back to Paul's point and from the point at the top of this episode, I, I, I like them all to be back together again. You guys hit on the big points, so I'm going to say that I want to see where Gina and CM go. You know, I think there's definitely this love vibe maybe happening. You know, he opened up to her about his family and about leaving his son to save them from being targeted because he knew that was going to happen. So I don't know them being thrown together these last two episodes we didn't spend a lot of time on it this week but them being thrown together i think is you know deepening their bond so i'm curious to see where that goes there was a tweet too with some um mm-hmm. little heart bubbles between Harlow. T- yep. Mm-hmm. yep and that made me wonder what, what, what so let's see what happens on next episode seven this is caroline this is paul And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Conversations with Eliza on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Aww.